Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 1. Our first scripture reading this morning is going to be Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, found on page 448 in the Pew Bibles. If you've been with us throughout the month of January, you know that we've sort of taken a break from our normal pattern of just uh, working our way through a, a book of the Bible to, to look more topically uh, at the, the topic of the means of grace. At the beginning of this year, actually the end of last year, I, I presented to you what I believe to be a Christian perspective on resolutions. You know, resolutions often come to people's minds at the New Year's. Some of us make them, other, others of us are, are cynical about them uh, because we have failed so many times in the past. And I, I suggested to you that, that resolutions actually must be part of the Christian life. In fact, the third membership vow here at uh, Trinity and in all PCA churches is, do you resolve in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit to live as becomes a follower of Christ? Resolving to obey is the very heart of repentance. We define repentance as turning from sin to God with a full purpose of and endeavor after New obedience. You could substitute the word resolve. You are resolving to walk in new obedience to God because you now see him for who he is. You see him as the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. You, you see him as your Lord and as your king, as the king who loved you when you were a rebel, the king who pursued you, the king who sent his son to reconcile you and bring you back into relationship with him. And so we we resolve to walk in new obedience. We resolve to live lives worthy of the grace that we have been shown in Jesus Christ. Not, not, not lives that earn that grace, but lives that flow out of that grace. What Paul calls the obedience of faith. We must, as disciples of Christ, resolve to live such lives. And it's not something we do on our own. The same God who calls us to such lives empowers us for such lives. We have seen clearly in the the teaching of the New Testament that all things that pertain to life and godliness, Peter says, are ours in Christ through faith. Paul says that the immeasurably great power of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, is now at work in us who believe. So we are called to lives of holiness. We are called to live lives worthy of the gospel. And we are empowered to live such lives. Of course, this raises a question in most of our minds. If, if we're called to such lives, and if we're empowered for such lives, why do we struggle so much to live such lives? Why do we so often fail? Why do our resolutions so often come to naught? As we have sought a biblical answer to that question, we realize that one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that we so often fail To live lives worthy of the gospel. One of the reasons that our our resolutions so often fall flat is that we are not plugging into the power that is at our disposal. God has made his power available to us in Christ, but we are not using the means that he has given us for appropriating that power, for living out of that power. See, God has given us certain means of grace, means by which his grace flows into our lives. And those means are His Word and prayer. 
His word is, is powerful. It is the power of God for salvation. It accomplishes its purpose. It, it brings into existence that which previously did not exist. That is God's word. It is, it is powerful. And, and prayer is powerful. Not because we're powerful. Not because there's power in the wish. But because the God to whom we pray is the Lord God Almighty. And he says, when we pray, it accomplishes much. When the righteous bring their petitions before God, things happen. And so God has given us His Word, a living Word, a Word by which we grow up in our salvation. And He has given us prayer by which we can ask His power to flow into our lives. These are the means of grace that He has given us, but we're not using them as we should. And so we feel powerless in our daily lives. And so with that perspective, we said, well, what we need then is we need to learn how to use these means that he has given us. How can we use the word? How can we use prayer so that we can live out of this power that is at our disposal? And we have been attempting to answer that question in three parts. First, we've looked at, well, how do we use those means here? In corporate worship. When we gather together as the Lord's people on the Lord's day, how do we use the means of grace in corporate worship? Then, last week, we looked at how do we use these means in smaller groups. When, when we're with a smaller group of people, a people whom we can share life with, a people who we can do life together with. How do we, how do we use the means in that smaller setting? And now this morning, we are going to wrap up this series by looking, okay, well, how do we use the means of grace in our own personal Devotion. How do we use the word in prayer in our own private worship? Now, I've left this till last because, in my experience, this is where most people's minds go first. When we think about using the means of grace, at least in our individualistic uh, community today, you know, the individualist American, you know, we, we tend to think first of the private use of the means of grace. And so I wanted to begin with the others just to show you that, that this is not the be-all and end-all of where we use the means of grace. It is, it is not private worship alone. We must actually begin with corporate worship, in, with the authority of the church. We must, we must begin with community as we help one another to use these means and we help one another to grow. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, the body grows as each member does its part, speaking the truth in love into one another's lives. And so we must use the means of grace in community. But placing the emphasis there doesn't mean that using them alone, using them personally is unimportant. And I hope to show you that this morning. Yes, we must use the means of grace in community. But yes, we must use them privately, personally, in our daily lives as well. And I want to show you four texts this morning that I think highlight the need for a personal use of the means of grace. So we'll begin by just looking at several scriptures. Then we will talk about, well, what is this personal use? What is it supposed to look like? And, and how can we do it well? So let me pray before we turn to the scriptures and ask for God's blessing upon our study here this morning. Let me pray for us. Father God, you have given us means of grace, means by which your empowering grace can flow into our lives. Father, teach us to use the means that you have given us. Teach us to, to use them well. Open our eyes this morning to your truth that we might be equipped to live lives worthy of the grace that we have received in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin this morning with two texts that uh, look at our use of the word and then two texts that talk about our use of, of prayer. So let's begin with Psalm chapter one. 
Psalm chapter 1, first three verses. Listen to this. This is the very Word of God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He, this man, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Who is the man who brings forth the fruit of righteousness? Who is the man who who has this abundant harvest? It is the man who does not walk with sinners, but rather his delight is in the law of God. And on his law, he meditates day and night. We are to meditate upon God's Word day and night. Now turn with me over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Paul writes, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So how are we to live as those who have been chosen by God? He's going to tell us. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect Harmony. That is the life that we have been called to. That is the picture that, that Paul is painting for us of our calling. And he goes on to tell us how we can live such a life. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's a little phrase right in the middle as Paul is describing this life. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is the goal. This is the goal that that we must have. We are to meditate upon this word day and night so that it might dwell richly in us so that we might live the life that we have been called to lead. This is what God commands of us. This is what he calls us to. This is how he expects us to use his word. But he also gives us instructions for what the, the, the place of prayer ought to be in our personal lives. Turn with me uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. Paul is here wrapping up his letter and he just sort of gives a, a series of bullet points, as it were, at the very end of his letter. And this is what he writes. He says, rejoice always, pray Without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is God's will for you. This is what he wants you to do. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. There's some debate exactly what Paul means by that. Is he, is he speaking about an attitude of prayer throughout the day? Is he, is he speaking about you know, regular times of prayer throughout the day? We could, we could debate that. But, but one way or another, it's fairly clear that Paul expects prayer to be a regular part of our daily lives. We are to be praying without ceasing. 
And Jesus gives us an example of such prayer that is not only corporate, but personal. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, as he is teaching his disciples about life in the kingdom and about how his disciples ought to live He speaks to them about prayer with these words, beginning in verse 5. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. For them, prayer is a show, it's a display, it's, it's so people can look at them and say, Hey, look how spiritual I am. Jesus says, Don't be like them. But rather, verse six, he says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. It would be a mistake for us to think that this prohibits all public prayer. If so, we've already violated this command several times this morning. That's that's not what Jesus means. But he does obviously envision a time of of private prayer where the believer prays not so that he can be seen but so that he can commune with God, so that he can come into his presence, so that he can praise him and and bring his petitions and lay them at his God's feet. It is a time of personal prayer. And so, so the vision that the scriptures give us is that we would be people who meditate upon the word day and night, letting it dwell in our hearts richly and who pray without ceasing. And I want to suggest to you That if we are going to fulfill that calling, if we are going to embody that vision, then we need something more than just the corporate worship. It has to begin there. And we've talked about that. But it also must flow into lives of private devotion. And so let me define, what is this private devotion that I am talking about? I know in in some circles, at least, there's been sort of a reaction against the idea of devotions. You know, you've heard that term, right? What do you what do people think of when you talk about the devotions? People tend to think about the 15 minutes they spend in the morning. You know, this is time set apart. They're going to have 15 minutes to do their devotions in the morning and they're going to you know, read a few verses. They're going to say a, say a prayer and that's their devotion to God. And, and some people rightly have said, you know, that's not devotion to God. Devotion is a, is a whole life devoted to God. Paul regularly re- speaks of himself as a, as a servant of the Lord. You know, he is devoted. Everything he does is in God's service. And in fact, he says that about the Corinthians. He says, listen, you have been bought with a price. You are not your own. Your whole life is his. That's what it means to be devoted to the Lord. This is why Paul calls upon the Romans to offer themselves as a living sacrifice. They are to offer their whole lives, not in part, not not a few minutes here and there, but their whole lives are to be acts of worship. Their whole lives are to be living sacrifices that bring glory to God. We heard it even in one of the texts that we read this morning. Paul says, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. Do it for the sake of his name. Do it for the sake of his kingdom. That's devotion. I want to say to you that, of course, those people are right. Our lives are to be devoted. When God calls us into his family, he is not calling for part of our lives. There is no moment in any day that is not to be devoted to him. Our lives are living sacrifices. That is devotion to the Lord. But that being said, I want you to hear that there is a place 
There is a place in the believer's life for times set apart. Times set apart for specific worship. This is one such time. This is a time set apart. This is a time where we break from our regular habit and we come together as the people of God to worship. And remember how we defined worship. We defined worship as the word wrapped in prayer. If you want to know what we do in a worship service, we do the word in prayer. We do the means of grace. We put the word right at the center, then we surround it with prayer. We, we sound, surround it with, with prayers of invocation where we call upon God's name and we, we ask Him to, to inhabit the praises of His people. We, we surround it with songs of praise, which are merely prayers of praise as we praise God for who He is and for what He has done for us. And then we bring our petitions and we say, God, You are the God who can provide us with what we need. We can live the lives we've been called to live only if You are with us. And this is where we're at. This is what we need right now. We, and we lay our petitions before Him. Our worship service is nothing more than the Word wrapped in prayer. And what I want to suggest to you is that this is not the only time you ought to have such set times of worship. You see, when we talk about our personal devotions, what we are talking about is private worship. We're talking about doing the same things we do here. It will look different because you'll be by yourself. <laughs> You know, it'll be private, it'll be, it'll be personal, it won't not be as formal, but it is still worship. The same fundamental elements will be there. It'll be a time set apart. A time set apart. Now, when that time will be, that'll vary. Some of you are morning people, you'll do it in the morning. Some of you are evening people, you'll, you'll do it in the evenings. In fact, the, the church tradition is to do it multiple times throughout the day, actually. You know, there are hours of prayer, hours where we set apart to, to praise God. To bring our petitions before Him and to, and to hear His Word read. I'm not suggesting to you that there's any one pattern for how it has to be done. It's not a 15 minutes in the morning type thing. It's, it's not you have to do it before breakfast or you're not really spiritual. It, it's none of that. All right? But it is a set time, a time set apart for you to use the means of grace in your own personal life. Now why? Why is that necessary? If you, if you come to church... Why do you need to be using these means of grace personally? Why? What's the, what's the reason? What's the value of private worship? Well, the first thing is simply that. It is personal. It is personal. This is, this is you using the means of grace. When we talked about the means of grace in corporate worship and we talked about the means of grace in smaller groups, we said that it was necessary for you to participate. Just showing up wasn't enough. God's not impressed when you go through the motions of worship. He, he's in, he isn't impressed when people worship Him with their lips while their hearts remain far from Him. If you are to benefit from the means of grace in a corporate setting, you must participate. And we said in order to participate from the heart, in order to participate sincerely, whether it be in corporate worship or whether it be in a small group, you have to prepare to do that. You have to prepare to participate. You have to come with your mind ready to to. Focus on the, the, the scriptures that are being read, upon the songs that are being sung, upon the confessions that are being made. You have to come ready to participate. Here is where you prepare. Here is where you prepare to participate in corporate worship. And here is where you prepare to participate in smaller groups. You see, in smaller groups, we said we can add wisdom to our knowledge. We can wrestle with our own particular situations. But, but you must know what your questions are. You know, I can always tell in my classes, you know, who's been doing the homework because they're the ones who can ask intelligent questions. 
You know, when, with the students who, who haven't done anything at home, they don't even know what questions to ask. Every teacher's had that experience. You, you say, well, who has any questions? They all just sort of look at you blankly. Because they haven't read anything at home. They, they haven't done any work at home. You, you know that experience. Well, it's the same in our spiritual lives. If you've done no homework, you don't know what your questions are. If you're not reading the Word, if you're not meditating upon it, if you're not wrestling to apply it to your life, then you have nothing to discuss with your small group. You have to prepare. And so private devotions is, is personal. It allows us to prepare, but it also allows us to ponder. Remember we said that to, to truly benefit from, from what goes on in corporate worship and to truly benefit from, from what goes on in a smaller group, you have to take it home with you. You have to, to ponder what's been said. You have to wrestle with it and, and seek to apply it. And your personal worship is a way to do that. It is a way to ponder. So, so personal worship, the personal is where we fulfill this command to let it dwell in our hearts richly. We, we've heard it taught, we've, we've heard it explained, we've wrestled with the application, and now in our own private personal worship, we are letting it dwell in our hearts richly. We are meditating upon it day and night. And so this is the first benefit, is that it is personal. It is, it is for us. It is our personal wrestling with the Word. It is our, our personal petitions being brought before God. But not only is it personal, the other benefit is that it is Daily. You see, the Christian life is something that must be lived daily. This was first impressed upon me when Bob Drake, the pastor in, uh, in Asheville that I worked with for seven years, when he preached a series of sermons on Luke chapter 9. It, it's a series of sermons. You know, he preached a lot of sermons while I was there, but this is one that has really stuck with me because he just impressed upon my mind that following Christ is something we decide to do daily. Repentance isn't something you do once. It is something you do again each morning. Jesus himself said it. He said, whoever would come after me, whoever would come after me, whoever would be my disciple, this is what he must do. He must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. You resolve daily to live a life worthy of the gospel. You resolve daily to follow him. And the reason that you have to do it daily is because it can only be done one day at a time. Jesus tells us this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. It's one of those life verses that people cling on to. And rightly so. Here Jesus is giving us a purpose statement. Seek first the kingdom of God. Don't aim at you know, what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. Let him add those things to you as you make my kingdom your priority. Seek first my kingdom. Seek first my righteousness. But in the very next verse, Jesus says something interesting. He says, you're going to have to do this one day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow, because there's going to be enough trouble today. If you seek first my kingdom today, there's going to be trouble. It's going to be hard. There's going to be obstacles. Do it one day at a time. Because that's the way you're going to have to do it. And so it's something that we must do daily. It's something that we can only do daily. It's why the prayer that Jesus gives us, the prayer that we even prayed here now, is a daily prayer. Jesus doesn't give us the Lord's Prayer that we could use it once. He tells us to pray for our daily bread. Pray for the rations that you're going to need today to serve me. And I'm going to talk about the Lord's Prayer in just a minute. I'm going to come back to there when we, we talk about the pattern that He's given us. But, but for now, just notice that it is a daily prayer. This is something that we are to come before God and do daily. And your private, personal use of the means of grace allows it to be daily. 
It allows you to, to feast upon that Word daily, to meditate upon it day and night. It allows it to, to dwell in your heart richly. So the question is, well, then how can we do this? How can we become daily users of the means of grace? How can we learn to use the means of grace in private worship on a daily basis? Well, the first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to prioritize. We said this about corporate worship. We said it about small groups, and it applies here as well. These things don't just happen. Your schedules are already full. If something's going to be added... Something's going to have to get bumped. That's the reality. What are you going to prioritize? What are you going to say? This is essential. This is non-negotiable. I heard someone say one time that, you know, if it's on their calendar, you know, when they, I, my calendar's on my phone. If you see me talking to someone after the service, I will take out my phone. I'm putting things on my calendar. That's where I keep my calendar. You may not like your calendar on your phone. You may use a paper calendar. You may not use anything written down at all. Maybe it's just in your head. But if you have an appointment on your calendar, you tend to keep it. Someone asks you, can you meet at lunch this week on Tuesday? You pull out your calendar. You say, no, I've already got an appointment. You say, why does that appointment rule? Because it's on the calendar. Prioritize. Put your private worship on your calendar. So when people ask you, can I do this? You say, oh, it's already on my calendar. It's full. I can't, I can't do something then. I've already got an appointment. Are you going to prioritize? Are you going to say, this is essential. I cannot live the life I've been called to live if I don't do this. If I'm not feasting upon the Word, if I'm not being nourished, if I'm not in prayer, it must be a priority. But that being said, be realistic. Be realistic when you plan. If you say that you're going to do your private worship at 5 o'clock in the morning and you have trouble getting out of bed at 7, it's probably not going to happen. This past semester, I've been trying to find a, a new time to exercise. I used to exercise at lunch at the Y. I used to go over there and play racquetball. I loved it. But when I started teaching a second class at the school, I quickly realized... You know, there's not enough hours in the day. Something's going to have to, to give. And so I stopped playing racquetball at lunch. And I, and I started trying to find another time to exercise. And the first thing I tried was, well, you know, I'll just get up at 5. I'll get up at 5, I'll exercise, I'll go run, or I'll do a video, or whatever. You know, I'll get my exercise in then. No, I won't. I have quickly discovered that's not going to happen. And so if I want to exercise, I can continue to plan to do it at 5 and never do it. Or I can find some other time to plan to do it. And so as you're planning, be realistic and be realistic, not only with the time, but the length. Don't don't say you're going to start, you know, having an hour of prayer a day if you're not doing anything now. You know, don't set aside an an hour. Don't feel like, well, it's got to be an hour. It's not worth it. You know, be realistic. That doesn't mean go easy on yourself. That, That doesn't mean, you know, plan 30 seconds, you know, but be realistic. Prioritize. Be realistic. And then third, plan. Plan what you're going to do. Have some idea of what private worship looks like. See, when we get together for a worship service, there's a bulletin pre-planned because we have done planning. Now, I know some people think planning quenches the spirit. Not necessarily. You know, planning sometimes sets the spirit free to work. Because you plan to be in a certain psalm or you plan to be in a certain place of Scripture and and it gives the spirit tools to use as he works in your life. You don't have to be obsessively tied to your plan. You can be flexible, but have a plan. Know what you're going to do. Think about what the elements of private worship are. We've said it is simply the Word and prayer. That means that your, your worship is going to focus on the Word, and it's going to focus on prayers both of praise and petition. Those are your three things. 
You're going to have prayers of praise. You're going to have prayers of petition. And you're going to have the Word. That's private worship. But not only do you need to kind of know what the three elements are, you need to have some idea of how you're going to do them. Plan how you're going to praise. For me, uh, I, I recently was introduced to the uh, electionary. Um, it's actually on an app that I use. And it, and it's, it brings up psalms every day for me. And, and they're psalms that you know, church fathers in the past have put together and said, hey, this is a good schedule. And for me, that, that, is how I, that is how I organize my praise because every day a psalm reminds me of something great that God has done. It reminds me of, of His character. It reminds me of, of the things that He has promised to do for His people. And it just walks me through the psalms and, and that organizes my praise for that day. And I don't have to think about what psalm I'm going to be in. I just open up my iPad and it click on that app and it comes up and, and for me that works. That may seem anathema to you. Maybe you don't want an iPad anywhere near you when you're doing your private worship. That's fine. You know, but there are other ways to, to plan. There's lots of good systems out there. But, but know what you're going to do. Use the Scriptures to praise God for who He is. We, we begin our service by praising God. It's the way the Lord's Prayer itself begins. Our Father who art in heaven. Think about what those phrases mean. We are, we are remembering that our Father's in heaven, that He is great, that He's the sovereign Lord, that He is the maker of heaven and earth. And we're remembering that He is our Father. That's where we begin. We begin with praise. That's where the Ten Commandments begin. I am the Lord, the God who brought you up out of Egypt. This is who I am. This is what I've done for you. Praise me. And so we begin with praise and then we, be, we bring our petitions. But what do you pray for? Some people set aside five minutes for prayer and they have no idea what to do. Well, for me, I just divide it simply into two questions. Who am I going to pray for and what am I going to pray and with who, I just start making a list. I start with me. I, I pray for myself. I pray for my wife. My kids are, are first on the list. And then my extended family. I, I put all the different families, my, my parents and all my brothers and sisters and their spouses and their kids and um, Sarah's sisters and, and their kids. And, and that's, that's the next level of my prayer list. And, and then I start adding you, the people of Trinity. And, and I start going through the directory and say, okay, you're the people on my list. And, and I can't pray for all of them every day. But I can, I can choose a family, and I can choose two or three families from the church, and, and that's my prayer list for the day. But what do you pray for them? What do you pray for them? Well, for me, again, the Lord's Prayer is the model. He gave us the Lord's Prayer for a reason. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. And that means you can use the actual words of the Lord's Prayer, or you can just use the category of petitions. It begins with the glory of God's name. Hallowed be thy name. That is your first priority on any day. For me to live is Christ. Means that for me to live is to see His name glorified. It's the first thing you pray for. God, today would you be glorified. Because if you are glorified today, if your name is praised today, whatever else comes, I will rejoice. But how do we glorify God's name? How do we bring praise to His name? He tells us. He says, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, we don't glorify God by doing what we think will bring Him glory. We glorify God by doing what He tells us will bring Him glory. And what He tells us will bring us glory is His will, His law, His word. And we ask that His word would be manifest first in our own lives, then in the lives of our families, and then that we would be agents bringing that word to bear upon the communities that we live in. We pray that His kingdom would come. And then we pray for the resources that we need. You see, here's where all your other petitions come in. Daily bread, that includes your prayers for the sick. It includes you know, prayers for a, a job. It includes you know, prayers for whatever other concerns, whatever other things you think you need. But it puts those prayers in a context. 
You see, it says, why do we need those things? We need those things so that we might live the lives that God has called us to live, so that we might glorify His name, so that we might do His will. That's why we're praying for health. That's why we're praying for safety when we travel. That's why we're praying for a good job and and the resources to put food on the table. So that His name might be praised. You see, the Lord's Prayer, it sets us up. It tells us you need to pray for forgiveness. You're a sinner. You need to pray for grace. You need to pray for God not to hold your sins against you, but to, but to treat you as one of His children, even though you have acted like a rebel. You pray for grace to be forgiven. You pray for protection from the temptations that are come. You see, if you are seeking to live a life worthy of God, you are going to come under the attack of the evil one. His fiery darts are going to rain down, and you pray that He would protect you. That He would keep you from temptation. That He, you would, not, he would not allow you to fall for the lies of the devil. This is how we pray. And it's how we pray not only for ourselves, but for our family. It's how we pray for for one another. And if you want to to see more specifically what some of those daily bread petitions look like, there's no better place to go than the prayers of Paul. You see, Paul's prayers, they, they show us the what of prayer. What does Paul pray for? He prays that we might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He prays that our love might abound. He prays that we might have wisdom. He prays that that God might grant us the strength to keep our resolves. He prays that that we might love one another even as we have been loved. These are Paul's prayers. These are the what of prayer. And I'm telling you that when you begin to see who you're going to pray for and what you want to pray for them, suddenly prayer will not seem like it's impossible to spend five minutes. Suddenly you'll have to be cutting yourself short. You'll be, you'll be saying, listen, you know, God, this is what I long for you to do in my life. This is my priority. And you will have more than you can pray for in a few minutes in the morning. And you'll be coming before God and saying, God, this is the life I long for. Please, God, this is what I long for you to do. Pray. So you praise God. You, you bring your petitions. And then, finally, you go to His Word. There was a time in Jesus' ministry when the crowds were beginning to leave him. And, and he asked his disciples, do you want to leave too? And they didn't say no. They're like, well, you know, things are getting kind of hard. Your teaching is getting kind of weird. We don't really understand exactly what's going on. But where else could we go for the words of life? That's the attitude we must have as we come to the words. Here's are the words of life. Here's where we're going to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Here is where we are going to come to understand the blueprint for life. Go to the Word. Now, some of you will say, well, you know, I'm not really a reader. I'm not really a student. You know, don't, don't feel the need to write your own curriculum. You don't have to do that. You know, the command is to meditate upon it and to let it dwell in your heart richly. You don't have to be reading through the Bible in a year to, to be a good Christian. It's a great thing to do. And if, and if you're wired that way, I would encourage you to it. You will reap benefits. And let me tell you, you will reap benefits in the second and the third and the fourth year. Far more than in the first. Read through the Bible in a year if that's the way you're wired. But if, but if that overwhelms you, don't, don't get bogged down there. Meditate upon the sermons. Meditate upon Sunday school lessons. Use a tool like, like Ligonier's Table Talk. Use, use, there's all kinds of good resources out there where, that can allow you to meditate upon the Word and to let it dwell in your heart richly. That's the goal. That's what we are after. And so you have praise. You have prayer of petitions. You have going to the Word and, and meditating upon it. And here is the promise that as you do these things, 
God will use the means that He has given you. God says these are means of grace. Through these avenues, God's grace will flow into your lives. Therefore, we can be certain that if we use the means He has given us, He will be faithful to do what He said He was going to do. He will cause you to grow. But listen, you have to persist. You have to be regular in your use because it's kind of like digging a well. You see, you don't get to the water on the first shovel full. This is, a, this is a discipline, and it's a discipline you must learn, and you must learn to feed upon the Word and to go to prayer, and it will be hard, and there will be times when it seems dry. Because even when you get the well dug, you know, the water doesn't always just flow so easy. But God is faithful. If you persist, if you use the means regularly, He will do what He has promised. He will pour His grace into your life, and you will be like that man in Psalm 1. You will be a man who brings forth an abundant harvest. Your, we, your leaves will not wither. Whatever you do will prosper. Maybe not in terms of the American dream, but in terms of God's dream for His people. God's dream for His people that you would be like Christ, that you would know Him, and that you would live a life worthy of His name. If you use the means of grace, this is what God will do for you because He has said He will do it and God keeps His promises. And because God keeps His promises, that's why we call it good news. Now, do you believe that? Pray with me. Father God, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for the means of grace. We thank You that all the immeasurable power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, is now available to us that we might will and do that which is pleasing to You. Father God, teach us to use the means. Give us the grace we need to use them regularly. And may Your grace flow into our lives that we might bring forth an abundant harvest of the fruits of righteousness to the praise of Your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.